Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the BFI podcast and we're recording today in the glamorous glitzy green room at the BFI South Bank. I'm Henry. And I'm Anna. Hi Anna, how are you doing today? I'm okay. It's really fun for me that you think that this is glitzy and glamorous. Well, there's mirrors on the ceiling. I spend about a quarter of my adult (laughs) life in this room, so... (laughs) (laughs) We've already established a few episodes ago that your life is glitz and glamour. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a reason why we're in the BFI green room today, and it's because we're waiting for writer, director, actor Desiree Akavan to join us for a chat about her new film, The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Let's play a clip of the film, which is hitting UK cinemas on the 7th of September. All that's left is your signature, and we're good to go. Now you're officially a disciple of God's promise. Welcome. (sighs) Fuck. Welcome to God's promise. And you are at an age where you are especially vulnerable to evil. Change will come through God, but but within me. We're going to spend our time together investigating what led you here. In the past, I would resort to self-pleasure, but then when I learned that that was a sin also, I stopped. In a minute, we'll be talking about the real glitz and glamour of old Hollywood um, when we chat about the BFI's upcoming Joan Crawford season. But before that, a quick question. If there is any film character you would slap Joan Crawford style, who would it be? We're not endorsing violence here, are we? We are definitely not. This is purely hypothetical and we're only talking about fictional characters. Also, I guess that film glamorizes violence enough, so why shouldn't we as well? Um, I was thinking about this. I would slap pretty much every single character in a Wes Anderson filmography ever. Controversial. I never liked his films, and I think it's because of all of the characters. It's just... Uh... You're inciting Twitter violence with those comments. <laughs> I'm going to get slapped down myself. You really are. Who would you slap? I would slap Chris Hooker from The Craft because he is a terrible person and a terrible boyfriend. Played by Skeet Ulrich. Exactly. Apparently, I was reading on BuzzFeed, he's gorgeous in that film and very cute, therefore non-slappable. Why are we even talking about slapping, Anna? Well, we're talking about slapping, um, not that I don't do it on a regular basis in my day-to-day life, but (laughs) it's mainly because I've been living in a Joan Crawford world for months now, but I'm diving even deeper into it because we're in August now and it's the start of the two-month season about Joan that I've programmed called Fierce, the untamable Joan Crawford. I love the title. All right, things are going to be different now. Get out. They aren't doing anything wrong. Get out. Get your things out of here before I throw them into the street and you with them. Get out before I kill you. 
What's that for? I do that in all my pictures. And one of the reasons that we're all fascinated with her, but me in particular, it's because not only she's one of the most important screen stars of the 20th century, but she's got a really interesting, quite damaged legacy because of the memoir her daughter wrote about her, Mama Dearest, which was then turned into a not-so-great film that's gained a pretty fantastic cult following. What do I get? A daughter! Who cares as much about the beautiful dresses I give her? And she cares about me! But she's back in the public eye since last year with Ryan Murphy's series Feud, which tracked the rivalry between Crawford and Betty Davis, played by Jessica Lange and Susan Sarandon, respectively. This entire production is an elaborate opportunity for you to humiliate me, isn't it? What are you talking about? You, Bob, the whole fucking crew abandoned me out at that plantation. Have you ever seen a Joan Crawford film? And I know you're wincing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've seen bits and pieces of Mildred Pierce, but I haven't really seen any of her stuff. But I've gone hard on Wikipedia, so don't you worry. (laughs) Um, Mummy Dearest, apparently, like, from what I could see, like, her close friends were saying that a lot of that book was semi-true, right? And there's some quite serious allegations in there about child abuse, strapping her kids to a bed, not feeding them because they wouldn't eat the dinner that she provided. Like, she doesn't sound like a very nice person. Is that the only cultural image you have of Crawford, of that generated by Mummy Dearest? Yeah, I I think the impressions I have are all quite negative. So it's that and box office poison, which presumably isn't fair. Like, I know that she's a titan of the golden age of Hollywood cinema, but I don't know anything else about her public persona other than the fact that she was, quote unquote, a difficult woman and that must be very well the quote unquote and i'm using air quotes here difficult women is something that a i'm very interested in (laughs) um b identify with and c um (laughs) is something that is such a gendered thing Mm -hmm. that is usually kind of the tag of difficult is strapped onto women i've never heard of difficult men being used as a negative but rather it's kind of a an interesting complex character you know that's what a difficult man is on screen at least yeah but at the same time if a man was alcoholic and abusing his kids you wouldn't i mean it's not just a difficult woman is it she obviously had some very like challenging personal issues that were going on in Absolutely. her life as well as being an astonishing actor outside of all of the allegations and really really quite serious ones that have kind of come up against her the fact remains that she is one of the greatest screen stars of the 20th century and she had a career that spanned about 50 years there's very very few people who've managed to achieve that level of career success but also relevancy and one of the things that have always has fascinated me about her is that she's sort of like the Madonna of her time, where she could shift personalities, on-screen personas and off-screen personas in order to really capture the interest of the public and adjust herself um, in order to fit into the zeitgeist and be successful and continue being successful. Oh, can the sob stuff, Mrs. Haynes. You noble wives and mothers bore the brains out of me. I'll bet you bore your husbands, too. You are a hard one, aren't you? Oh, I can be soft on the right occasion. Look, what what did you expect me to do? Burst into tears and beg you to forgive me? Isn't that what you really came in here for, Mrs. Haynes? Not after seeing you. You're even more typical than I dared hope. Well, honey, that goes double. Now, look, get this. I'd break up your snug little roost if I could, but I don't stand a chance. Oh, don't think it's because your husband isn't crazy about me. It's because he's the kind that lets that old-fashioned sentiment put the Indian sign on him, and that's all. I'm glad you understand the strength of sentiment, Miss Allen, because its beauty is something you'll never know. 
She was at one point deemed box office poison. And then she came back from that, having kind of completely um, adjusted her screen personality and started working on a different sort of film. And I'm thinking particularly of the middle of her career where, you know, she was not the young rising flapper that she started off as, but she was now kind of the lead in kind of adult women's pictures and I'm doing this kind of air quotes thing. But it was really interesting that you, the first thing that you mentioned about her is the fact that she is perceived as a difficult woman even now, because one of the things that really struck me in our season introduction for the, for Fears a couple of weeks ago was that one of the speakers, Pamela Hutchinson, who is incredible, she said that her roles hammered down the idea that women can have everything. And the first thing to be sacrificed is being likable. That's true. And I'm sorry that ignorance has been replaced with a stereotype, but I'm going to try and rectify that. How can I learn more about Jane? I mean, you can spend the next two months at the BFI South Bank. I probably will. I'm pretty sure you won't, but if you do, um, I definitely encourage you to see Mildred Pierce, which is being re-released as well, and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which is one of her most well-known roles, and the one where she shares the screen for the first time with Betty Davis. Peter, I think I'm really seeing you for the first time in my life, and you're cheap and horrible. You think just because you made a little money you can get a new hairdo and some expensive clothes and turn yourself into a lady, but you can't. Because you'll never be anything but a common frump whose father lived over a grocery store and whose mother took in washing. I have been educating myself over something, though, in the last couple of weeks, Anna. I saw um, Nuts in May, the Mike Lee TV play from 1976. Have you seen that one? I have not seen that one. It's amazing. And it's so weird. It's about a married couple going away for a 10-day, which sounds horrific, 10-day tent break in rural England. I think it's on the coast of Devon. And um, they go to get away from the hustle and bustle of city life and end up staying on a campsite where people around them are just impossible in the same way that your neighbours in a city are. But Keith, the uh, husband of the couple, is a weird precursor for things like Edward in The League of Gentlemen. And he's also got a real Alan Partridge vibe to him as well. So he's one of these kind of little small town guys who thinks that the world should uh, cohere to exactly what they think the world should be. Shall we sing the second verse, Games Marine? Yes. Slightly different from the first. Oh, sorry. Yes. I want to see the zoo, she said, I want to see the zoo. I want to take you there, he said, I want to go with you. I'd be Different lines here, you see. And of the tigers too. I wouldn't be afraid of everything if I did not have you. See, I got the lines wrong there, they're slightly different from the... Uh, First. Now, would you like to join in, Ray? Well, I don't think so, really. Yes, come along. You can uh, sing the second and the fourth line with me, all right? It was a key influence on uh, the Sightseers film by Ben Wheatley. And oh, really, was it? Yeah, and it's really weird watching it, having seen Sightseers and things like The League of Gentlemen, because the influence of, of Keith on those characters is so strong that you expect this to go dark and murderous and crazy, and it really doesn't. And to its credit, it just sticks as this very small domestic drama set on a uh, campsite and feels almost more odd because of it because there's no real action to it it's just Keith struggling against the world and his wife Candice Marie played by Alison Steadman having a horrific time trying to be strange people in a quote-unquote normal boring world. So it's something that sounds like it's aged actually quite nicely? It's aged really well and particularly if you've seen the, the people that were then influenced by it you kind of get all these reference points that pop in and it feels like it's a real kind of fundamental part of British comedy now as I said it's Alan Partridge but you've also got elements of The Office in there as well 
And it is laugh out loud funny, but very strange at the same time. It's an incredible song about going to the zoo, which I recommend you check out on YouTube. It's fantastic. Nuts in May is available to watch on BBC iPlayer and Fears, the untamable Joan Crawford, is running at the BFI South Bank throughout all of August and September. Joining us now is the writer, director, actor Desiree Akavan, whose second feature, The Miseducation of Cameron Post, premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, where it picked up the Grand Jury Prize. The film's set in 1993 and sees teenage Cameron, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, sent away to the God's Promised Treatment Centre after being caught fumbling in the backseat of a car with the prom queen. While she's been subjected to questionable gay conversion therapies, she bonds with some fellow clients as they pretend to go along with the process while waiting to be released. Desiree has previously written, directed and starred in the web series The Slope and her debut feature Appropriate Behaviour and is also gearing up for her television series The Bisexual. I mean, couldn't we just walk off and go where? What's worse, karaoke night or living on the streets? tough call. Desi, what's it like writing for teenagers as someone in their mid-30s? Like, How do you kind of get into that lexicon? Well, I have the mentality of a (laughs) 15-year-old, so I think it's a perfect fit. And I was genuinely making something that I would love and working in conjunction with Cecilia Fergiuele, who's my uh, writing partner and producing partner. So it was the two of us kind of brainstorming what we thought was interesting and funny. And weirdly enough, (laughs) <laughs> the, the best of our taste was just at the right level for a 15-year-old. 100% <laughs> I was not dumbing it down. I wanted to ask about that balance of, of like comedy and real world issues, if you yeah. like, because you're spinning a lot of plates here. You're talking about so-called gay conversion therapy and the real world issues that are spun off from that in terms of the political scene in America. But then was there a kind of pressure to make it lighthearted as well as somebody who's known for comedy material? I'm known for it. That is generous what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that. Uh, yes, in, in my house, I am known for a comedy <laughs> between me and my my parents. Um, it wasn't a pressure. It's just I love comedy. I like to laugh. The films I care about are always taking the piss. So it's just about meeting our taste. And that's where it took us, to a place where the kids were constantly making jokes and the absurdity of the situation can sometimes strike you. It depends on the audience, actually. I think it's really great to watch this film in a cinema because, uh, and I've actually read online almost like misconnection ads of people interacting with other strangers who are sitting next to them, which is the coolest thing as a filmmaker that you can read. So yeah, it kind of, and in different rooms I've sat in, sometimes the the, the mood is really heavy and people are are crying and then other times... Um, people are laughing really hard and uh, it's a bit contagious either way. Your struggle is with the sin of same-sex attraction. You're facing the consequences of your actions and it's ugly. Why does she give such a shit? I guess it's like having your own Disney villain. Only this one won't let you jerk off. (laughs) Were you particularly looking to subvert any tropes of teen or coming-of-age films? I just wanted to make a good one. I felt like it had been a good 20 years since I'd seen something that spoke to me personally. And I love teen films as an adult. I don't think it's something that is is exclusive to being that age. But John Hughes' films really touched me. The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. I mean, if you overlook the casual rape and racism, then you can really get to the heart of a good film. Just get past them. Just get past it. Just one eye close. But what's so great about those movies is the stakes were so high. So was the banality of being a teen. Like, they were all such basic teens. And at the same time, it felt like life and death. Like, her getting asked out on that date. And um, the stakes of the Gay Conversion Therapy Center, to me, was such a good setting and such a good metaphor for 
being a teenager, like how no matter who you are, gay, straight, whatever, you feel like you're diseased, that there's something deeply wrong with you. And that whatever your Achilles heel is, the adults around you are trying to change you and make you conform. In a perfect world, the feeling you get from the film, if it juggles tone very well, it will match the feeling you get from that I got reading this book. And what was that feeling? How did you first respond when you read the book? When I read the book, I felt like it was the most honest depiction of being a teenager that I had read in a book. And it was the only queer book I'd ever read. So that was a real shocker. Very few things reflect the truth of what it felt like to be that age. And the funny thing is that I realized over the course of making this and in the past few years of my own life, is that like, you're actually pretty much the same person, even though we all really credit ourselves on like growing and, and becoming such incredible, like transforming to butterflies. I do all the time. If someone's like, you really haven't, sh like, you look exactly the same. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm sorry, can I curse? <laughs> I'm like, I'm much hotter now. Uh, but what I no, know you act the same, right? That's I act the same. That's yeah. the funny yeah. thing. Tell us about that girl you knew from home. The first step is for you to stop thinking of yourself as a homosexual. I don't think of myself as a homosexual. I don't really think of myself as anything. Fuck this place. I'm tired of feeling disgusted with myself. I'm really curious to see how audiences interpret this. I think when we wrote it, we had this idea that Cameron goes on a journey and starts very insecure and ends up, you know, having a sense of her own autonomy. And then when Chloe came in and just played this girl as someone who really knew who she was and was a real badass from the start. And that was a really great choice, actually. And when the editing room, it was like, oh, okay, here we go. Let's play with these tools now. As you were making the film, Trump won the election. And I was wondering if there's a kind of a risk of doing any film about religion in America, no matter how wonky that religion is shown to be on screen, as an American filmmaker coming out and making a film that is, in its essence, anti-fundamentalist religion. How did you feel making the film when that happened? And how do you feel now that it's out in the world in this world that's quite so effed up? The thing that hit me most at that moment was that I was grateful to be making something that I'd rather have been with those people making this particular film than with anyone else. And that I was really grateful to be in an active place than a passive one at that moment. So I think all of us felt scared but motivated and focused on what we were doing. But then when we were having trouble selling the film, I couldn't help but wonder if the fact that it is critical of, and not Christianity, I think a certain brand of evangelical Christianity that misinterprets the Bible, in my opinion, um, making a film that holds a light to that, it made me wonder if that was something that was sales what's the word that's the opposite of gold <laughs> <laughs> there's no such thing as homosexuality there's only the same struggle with sin we all face do you have access to the outdoors on a regular basis yeah do you feel safe in your dorm rooms at night yeah do you trust those in charge here not really 
one of the things that I really responded to about the film was its really frank and mm. intimate kind of portrayal of female sexuality as well. Oh, yeah, Do you think, I think there definitely. might be something about that as well? In yeah, I mean, when have you seen a film that did really well in the box office in America that dealt with young women's sexuality? I mean, Diary of a Teenage Girl was such a great movie and it should have done beautifully. It didn't. And that is a direct response to the culture of America and the way we market films and the way that people ingest them. But actually, uh, Christian films do really well. Films that have a subtle Christian... I mean, Juno is a Christian film. If you think about it, um, it's always knocked up. Like, they're Mm -hmm. they're pro-life movies. Obvious Child, great film, was not able to do as well in the box office as it should have for something Mm -hmm. so funny. We also wanted to talk to you about your upcoming show, The Bisexual, sure. um, which you filmed here and mm-hmm. you've been working in London. Do you think like you've kind of experienced something differently since you moved to London to work? When I first came here, I had I was just doing press for appropriate behavior and I was supposed to go back home. And then um, I don't know, I was just felt at home. And it's funny because I was doing mostly work things. I was taking meetings and I was doing press, but it felt comfortable and it felt like I was speaking the same language. And I think a lot of the time in my life, I feel like I'm speaking a different language than people. So you got laid last night. (laughs) Shit, we loud? Yeah, it's really hard to jerk off when you're in my ear. Okay. I'm sorry, does that make you uncomfortable when I talk about masturbation? No, 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 no. No, and now you can like picture in your head and it's distracting? Just a bit. And now you know how I feel when I'm trying to jerk off and your girlfriend's putting on a show. I had already written the pilot to the bisexual and I'd pitched in L.A. And then I pitched this and it got rejected everywhere. And then I flew out here. It was a really depressing flight over. And then I pitched the same script here and I had a choice of who I could make it with. And suddenly just felt like I'm unemployed. I'm broke. I had my best friend is here. And she's letting me sleep on her couch. So I just slept on her couch for three months until I could afford my own place. And the difference is, I feel like people, the note I get here when I'm working with executives is like, go further with it. Whereas in the States, it's like, um, could you explain that? I'm confused. Or, you know, discomfort. The Like, I think one of the notes I got on a sex scene was that it was gratuitous. And I really genuinely care about things being gratuitous. And I, I think that was a misassessment. I think it just made them uncomfortable. Do you think people maybe mistake gratuitous with frequent? Like, it's, like <laughs> there is a frequency. There is, but no, honestly, to me, like, and I'm not, I'm not just blowing smoke. It Thanks. feels like there's a real plot point to each of the sex scenes that you include in any part of your work, and there's a point Thanks. to why that person is being physical with the other person, and it's based on emotion so, and yeah. plot. Whereas, obviously, the definition of gratuity is to just throw them in any old way. I mean, how do you explain the difference to someone who's just coming to it casually, I guess? Just that, plot points. It's yeah. like there's a real before and after in each scene. If nothing changes, then you're right. It is gratuitous and you shouldn't have that sex scene. But I think it makes people super uncomfortable. They have no idea you're bisexual? They know. I know they know. Why is there only one bed? It's European. Also in the movie Beaches, these two best friends shared a bed. And it was very inexpensive. I met with a couple of people in L.A. last week when I was out there promoting. And it really is a fine line between, like, what do you want to make and what can sustain a career? I'm really nervous about being in that position where you attach yourself to a studio and you find yourself in that nightmare of, like, oh, God, I have to make something that's such a watered-down version. Like, I think ambition and quality are two things that are, like, butting heads in my life right now. And I'm like, I have such great ambition. (laughs) And yet... 
you know, am I a bigger whore or a, a bigger artist? Fine, Desi, take the Marvel movie. Take the Marvel movie. Right. <laughs> I'm taking my like, Legally Blonde 3. <laughs> Why I'm here to investigate the care that is given, not to investigate the mission of this facility. But what about emotional abuse? Are you saying you're being emotionally abused by the staff here? How is programming people to hate themselves? not emotional abuse. When it comes to sexuality or bisexual, you've talked before about not occupying one space and yeah. not occupying the other one and how that makes many people uncomfortable because they want you to be gay or they want you to be straight. I don't even think they want you to be. That's such like an aggressive stance. I think it's just like, <laughs> I can't wrap my brain around this because I yeah. can't relate to it on a personal level. And I, I understand that. Like recently, my ex-girlfriend seeing somebody who uses plural pronouns, like they, them, mm -hmm. And every time she talks about them, I'm like, wait, what? I'm, and I, I want to understand and yet like, I'm really, it's because it's the first time I've experienced it and I'll get used to it. But I'm noticing myself where I'm like, I don't like this. Just choose a gender. And then I'm yeah. like, wait, what? I, that's awful. I didn't say that out loud. I thought it in my private evil thoughts. And then I decided to share it on this podcast. I mean, I, I will get the hang of it. And mm. I just have to get that. That's my work that I have to do. You know, it's completely new to me. And I think that's the same with bisexuality. Great. Desi, thank you for sharing your private evil thoughts. With us today. <laughs> Writer, director, actor Desiree Akavan, and you can catch The Miseducation of Cameron Post in cinemas everywhere from the 7th of September. The Bisexual will be on Channel 4 and Hulu in October. That's it for this episode. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts as ever. And let us know what you think of the show directly. You can find me, I'm at Henry H. Barnes on Twitter and Anna at... Anna B. Demented. We're hosted by Acast and Pete Sale is our producer. More of his work at petersale.co.uk. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Your last line this episode comes from the women. There's a name for you ladies, but it isn't used in high society outside of a kennel. Ouch. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.